You are listening to a live message from Gold Street Garden Church with Dr. Dominic Butler. We are thrilled to have you join us for today's message. Our prayer is that you would see Jesus clearer than ever before and your desire to know him personally would increase in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about the church, you can go to goldstreetgarden.com. I I had it in my heart that the gospel, if you haven't been with us the first week, which I highly encourage everybody to catch up with us. You don't have to be caught up to catch tonight, but our first week we did, we talked about Hosea the prophet. How many people are here with us for that? That was a phenomenal night, and I highly encourage you to go back. But it's all about how God is just so in love with us, and he'll go after us even And that story with Hosea representing Christ and then the Gomer representing the church, which she was a a prostitute in that story and how God continued to show his love. And then last week we talked about Joseph and his relationship with his brothers, talking about the nearness of God, how the gospel's main objective was to let God be near to us. And tonight what I want to talk about, I just want you to say this out loud, say, lift him up. Say it again. Lift him up. This is what I want to talk to you about tonight. We're going to go to a passage of scripture in a moment. I just want to share a brief story that happened to me over the weekend. But I want to talk about exalting Jesus and to show you. And I want to say this right now so everybody hears me. I am aware because of when I pray and being the shepherd, the under shepherd of this flock of the people here, that I know there are people in this room that are dealing with strongholds, that are dealing with sinful habits that they can't break. And it seems like they, they, can, they can do really good for a little while, and then all of a sudden, they fall back into a snare. And you're going to be freed tonight. And, I, and I'm the, the reason... The reason I say that is because we are going to make the gospel as simple as possible tonight because that is God's desire. Okay. So as I've been preparing for tonight for multiple days, Saturday, the day after New Year's, I was driving to a work endeavor and I was only just a little bit, not too far from here in Clearwater. And I was at a red light in my vehicle by myself, and I got severely rear-ended at a red light. And when I got rear-ended, my immediate thoughts were my car, (laughs) and I have multiple thousands of dollars of equipment, music equipment, in my vehicle. So my mind immediately went towards my vehicle went towards all my gear, all these things. And then I was actually on my way to a work endeavor. So I it was even, and Jackie would laugh at this, like my first call was not to my wife, but to the, the, the place that I was heading to, letting them know that I wasn't going to be there. Because I, I just, I'm, I hate being late or I hate not being, so I wanted to be diligent with that. It was at my first call. Um, that If that says anything about me, that's just kind of where I'm at. Um, But in this moment, I'm then exchanging 
information with somebody that I soon to find out is extremely intoxicated. Extremely intoxicated. So now I know that this is, this is more than what's going on. So we then find a way to get off the main drag. We were able to get our vehicles off, praise God, start having conversations. You know, we're getting information. You know, anybody knows that drill. There's so much going on in that moment that then the, the police and the medics get there and they, they question me. They're asking me how I'm doing. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm good. I'm just thankful my family wasn't with me. And I'm just so consumed by what's going on, right? And I did actually, I, I did minister to the gentleman um, there because, you know, I, I knew that I had to. Like, I'm not just going to um, not, it was, he was very incoherent, but I still believe that I was able to minister. So in this moment, the medics then asked me something that stuck with me way later, but they, and Anybody that's been in this situation before probably knows what the medics were even going to tell me or express. And they said, you know, how are you feeling? And I said, you know, well, I feel great. You know, I'm just glad nothing, you know, there was some minimal damage and all, but I didn't feel any pain. I didn't feel any pain at all. And then the medic said, well, you know, you got to really give it some time because when all this is going on, your adrenaline's going, you're so focused on all this stuff that you got to be you got to be watchful because you exalting the temporary things going on will actually distract you from the internal injuries that could have taken place. Three hours later, and still right now, my back really hurts. <laughs> and I'm speaking healing, and I'm just, uh, things have been getting progressively better, and that's all good. But the thing is, is I, the Lord, uh, I know that the Lord... I'd never blame anything on God. I want everybody here to know that. I always leave room open whenever anything happens to me. I always say, God, what am I not seeing? What do I need to see? Because I have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, and I don't blame anything on anything. I always take self-inventory and know that God will lead me into victory and lead me to where he needs to go. And that's a lesson for everybody. You don't blame God when things happen. You just immediately find out what you need to see so you can move forward with what God's called you to. And so all that's happening. And then I was preparing this message. And then I'm realizing that, like I said, when, when, when we exalt temporal, trivial things, we blind ourselves from our internal needs. We blind ourselves from actually the spiritual injuries that are on the inside because we're exalting temporal things. I was so worried about my vehicle. I'm so worried about exchanging all the hoorah. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That in life, you start exalting all this stuff that is all going to burn up soon. You start and it wears you out. It wears you out, but in the moment you feel like you're productive and you're getting things done, but you're not dealing with the insatiable things in your heart, the things that God's trying to do. And that's why God is so big on slowing things down. He's so big on slowing things down that sometimes, sometimes things go crazy, not because God was even trying to make things go that way. It's just what happens is we get so busy in life and all of a sudden we become vulnerable to a collision. And then God says, 
it's time to slow down and take inventory and see where you're at. And that leads us to what I really want to talk about tonight. If you go to John chapter three, and I'll meet you there. So many people want to blame where they're at based off their circumstance. And I'm not trying to beat anybody up if that's you. I just want you to hear me out. So many times people are like, if my situation was different, if I wasn't going through this, then I could, I could be at a better place. Has anybody ever said that or even heard somebody say that? You don't have to tell on yourself, but you know what I'm saying? It's a common thing if I wasn't in this place. But I want to propose the fact that it has little to do with your circumstance and ultimately to do with what you're exalting. You can exalt a circumstance to such a place that it'll depress the hell out of you. It'll literally bring you to such a place that you could exalt things and it can destroy your peace because of what you're exalting. You, I could be, and I know this sounds crazy, I'd rather go through hell with God than to live the American dream without him. I'd rather be in the middle of chaos with peace himself than be on a luxurious vacation not knowing who he is. And people so quickly, the devil is so good at playing the charade and getting us to exalt things in our life, temporal, trivial things. But I'm here to tell you that when you exalt him, something, something happens. This is not me just saying, I'm, I, we talked last night I, when we were live, uh, on, I, I want everybody to know that when you exalt Jesus, something spiritual happens. That's why we praise and sing for extended periods of time, because we need to remove our focus from the day, from the things that are going on. And he is so worthy and we keep exalting him. Guess what? As you exalt him, more people will get healed by accident than laying hands on everybody. Because when you exalt him, all of a sudden something spiritual takes place. Restoration happens. Peace happens. Healing takes place. Great victory happens when he is exalted. And I want to show you this in scripture. So if you're taking notes, please, please do so. <laughs> Psalm 138, verse 2. Everybody say, Jesus is the word. So this is the first thing I want you to see as we go forth, an observation with exalting. Psalm 138 verse 2, in the New King James or New Living, it'll say, I worship towards your holy temple. I praise your name for your loving kindness, for you have magnified your word above your name. God puts the word above his name. But that, that sounds really good. But like, what does that mean? Well, guess what did I just tell you? Jesus is the word. So back in the old Testament, the psalmist was saying that when he's saying, I will worship towards your temple and I will praise your, your name for you see now what he's going to say is the reason I'm worshiping, the reason that I'm bowing down is because you have exalted your word above your name. That God, his promises to you are yes and amen. And the psalmist knew that 
he is so faithful that he actually clings to every promise he says, and it's the highest thing. But when Jesus came in John chapter one, John chapter one, verse one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Go down to verse 14. It says, well, that still, what is the word? It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, because when the word became flesh, it was Jesus Christ manifested. So the psalmist saw something, and I want to I read Psalm 138.2 in the Passion Translation, because it just makes me want to passionately slam my head through a wall in the best kind of way, and it says that, I bow down before your divine presence and bring you my deepest worship as I experience your tender love and your living truth for the promises of your word. Do you see how it says for the promises of your word and fame of your name have been magnified above all else? You see so many times as people are like, I just... For some reason, I can't worship. I can't get into it. But you don't realize when you begin to exalt him, worship actually happens. Because the reason you're having a hard time worshiping is because you're exalting something else. You're exalting how you feel. You're exalting like, I don't feel like I'm in worship right now. But it's not about that. It's about you exalt him, not what you are currently experiencing. It's not about your circumstance. It's not about the sin that you're dealing with. Because guess what? He took care of it. And we're going to go over that tonight. But when you exalt him, all of a sudden your scope of seeing him reveals reveals every deficiency and then he satisfies it at the same time he exposes he exposes the vacuum in your heart and then he fills it but you have to exalt him because the reason we don't exalt him is because we say if I'm just here or I'm just that or I don't feel this or I don't feel that or it's this circumstance it's this circumstance you don't realize in your in your reasoning for not exalting him you're exalting your reasoning you're exalting your excuses. And we said this weeks ago that excuses are just making covenant with bondage. An excuse is just making covenant with bondage. Another scripture on how Jesus is the word. I mean, people like Revelation. John had a lot of good things to say. That's why John's gospel and Revelation is just so powerful. But John said when Jesus comes back, he's talking about, he said that in Revelation 19, which is a great chapter to read, not before you go to bed, it might freak you out. No, I'm just, <laughs> it's a great chapter. Jesus got a sword coming out of his mouth and he's got a whole, it's like, what? And then John, Revelation 19, 13, it says, he was clothed with robe dipped in blood and his name was the word of God. When you exalt the word of God, all of a sudden, things change. This is why you need the book that's in your hand, this written word, you have to exalt it. It is, it is, an, it is a book to experience his character and his nature. And when you exalt his word, if it's just even one promise that by his stripes I'm healed, guess what? Ever since I learned that that promise was for me, anytime I get a sniffle, anytime I get into a car accident, whatever is going on, guess what? The first thing that comes to my heart is I begin to exalt that by his stripes I am healed because 
the reality of who he is is always greater than the reality that I am temporarily experiencing. And I begin to exalt him. I begin to exalt. And Joe alluded to this earlier. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. This is why you need to exalt the word. You ready for this? It says, therefore, God also has highly exalted him. Remember, we found that God, he puts the word above his own name. So therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus. So you got to catch why it says, it says, God gave him the name above every name so that every other name would have to bow. So what happens when you exalt his name? Now every other name in your sphere has to bow because something spiritual takes place when you exalt his name. When you... When you Take on the character of God and you begin to imitate. If God exalts the word and he is, I th would we all agree God's pretty successful? <laughs> would we all agree that God is pretty smart? Would we, would we say that I should probably try what he's doing? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we see a new cool cat or we see something like, man, I want to do what he's doing. How about we do what God does? And God says, I take the word, which is my son, and I exalt him. And when I exalt him, something happens and it's called perfection. It's called things have to change what is not perfect has to align. What is not because of an exaltation. And I, I'm trying to, you see what I'm about to get to as we, I told you to go to John 3. We're going there now. John 3. <laughs> I want to make the gospel simple. People are getting free tonight. I'm just, we're just going to stay here a few minutes because we're just going to let God do what he does best. But John 3, there's a peculiar character. And his name is Nicodemus. Everyone's saying Nicodemus. Nicodemus' name means conqueror, which is, will help us later. But his name means conqueror. But he's a Pharisee. Has anybody heard of a Pharisee before? Um, it's very popular in scripture. I don't want to assume everybody knows what a Pharisee is, but a Pharisee is, was a Jewish rabbi, also a Jewish ruler that was very legalistic, very proud of their Jewish heritage. And they were just always very prideful about knowing the, the, the law and knowing those things. And all of Jesus's main rebukes were for the Pharisees. Okay. So whenever Jesus just wanted to uh, straighten some people out, it was usually a group of Pharisees. He even called them a brood of vipers. So Jesus did not just speak kindly to these people. And Nicodemus happens to be a Pharisee. And isn't it so amazing that even though we hear about all these rebukes, that God would reveal the gospel in some of its most simple form to somebody that seemed to be an apparent enemy. And I want to look at this. Because they have a very unique conversation. Has anybody ever had a unique conversation with God before? Try every day for me. A unique, every time you talk to God, it's a unique conversation, right? You're talking to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And he has a way of refocusing the conversation. I want to show you. 
that in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So what is Nicodemus doing? He's coming to Jesus at nighttime because he is embarrassed and fearful of what the other Pharisees will think if they saw him conversing with Jesus during the daylight. But guess what? We can look at this, but we all had our first conversation with Jesus in the dark. We all came to him saying, Lord, I think you're real. There's some evidence in my life that I just can't deny. And everybody around me is trying to just say it's this and that, but there's something in me that is saying that you have to be real and Nicodemus is coming, having this conversation at night saying, God, if you're real, you know, I'm seeing that you are, but can you talk me into it more? Or can you give me something that I can go tell my friends to convince them more? So Nicodemus comes at night to have this conversation. And I want to remind us, we all came to Jesus at night. But guess what he does is he has this conversation with him and we go forward and it says this, that he's saying, we see the signs that you're doing. So the Pharisees are taking notice that Jesus is being used by God. Okay. They can't deny it. That's why they killed him is because he was stealing all their fame. He was flipping their tables over. I heard a minister say he even made a whip. Could you imagine how powerful that whip was if God made it like he didn't just go get a whip from a dollar tree this was made by the king of kings and lord of lords given the inspiration of the holy spirit the holy spirit's like Jesus this is how you make a whip and make sure you <laughs> it's like that's the Jesus disciplined these people brought these things about but they can tell that he had been with God. And then in verse three, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now check this out. What did Nicodemus just say? We can see through your signs that you must be from God. Did you see? He says, we can see. And what does Jesus immediately do? You can't see anything unless you're born again. This is a huge problem that we face in Christianity as a whole. When all we hear is motivational speeches and you just tag a half a scripture on it, no one gets born again. In order to be born again, you have to recognize you were a sinner. That your previous path was not okay. You were a child of the devil. Ephesians puts it very clearly. Jesus even said, you lie just like your father, the devil. In John chapter 8, do you see what happens here is Jesus is making it very clear. If you want to truly see, you have to be born again. So Nicodemus is trying to have a natural, comprehensive conversation with God. And Jesus says, we can't even talk anymore and be on the same level unless you are born again. Can we all agree that there's family members and friends that just have no clue why you live the way you do? I just don't get it. I just don't get it. It's because they don't see what we see. 
Do you get that? And Jesus even goes as far with this is that, did you know that all the Pharisees and the Jewish people, they were waiting for the kingdom of God. They were waiting for a natural kingdom to overthrow the Roman government, the Roman empire. So when Jesus says, you can't even see this kingdom unless you're born again, Nicodemus is like, well, we've been waiting for this kingdom. You mean that I can't see it? It's, it's at, and that's why we kept here. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And when you're born again, you can see what God is doing when others are completely blind and ignorant. This is why we see it over and over again from the Old Testament, New Testament, that God would speak to Noah and he saw a flood was coming when everybody else just continued to live their life. And he began to prepare because he could see something no one else could see. When the rest of the armies of Israel saw a giant, David saw an uncircumcised Philistine that needed to be taken out. While some of the church is just wondering why there are giants, there are a remnant rising up about to take them out. Because we see something different. Do you see what I'm saying? We see something different because of being born again. And then we see here that in verse Four, Nicodemus said to him, now everybody check this out. Now, has anybody seen Family Feud before? Has anybody seen Family Feud with uh, Steve Harvey when he gets a, when he starts uh, blasting somebody for giving an asinine answer, a moronic answer? That's the only time I like watching Family Feud is just to see the people that gave the dumbest responses. Like if I, if I just need a good laugh, you know, the contestants will just get them there and they'll say something. But, but what you see in verse four, Nicodemus says something that I bet in heaven he really wishes he could retract this statement because Jesus was trying to tell him how he could be born again and how he could see. And then this is what Nicodemus takes from Jesus. This is what happens when you're naturally minded. You say really stupid things, which is okay because the Lord loves us and he helps us. But Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You see, I don't think uh, Nicodemus is happy that that got eternally quoted, that that came out of his mouth, that he's eternally on the record thinking that being born again means that we all have to jump back in mama's womb. A little weird. Nicodemus should be glad he had this conversation in the dark but we all know now it came out. There was light shed upon it. But I want to go back to when Jesus said, be born again. Have you ever came to God and said, I'm just going to throw an example. Have you ever said, God, I really need help financially right now. And the Lord says, you need to forgive. And it's like, that's not what I'm asking God. You know what I'm talking about? That sometimes you go to God and you're, you're, you have something you need and God redirects you to the root because what Nicodemus is, he's trying to find an answer out, but he wants to find it out through his understanding, through his comprehension. And God is trying to get him to see something that the root needs to be purified for you to even see what I'm talking about. So you're worried about the surface stuff right now. You're worried about the trivial temporal stuff, but I see eternally and we got to deal with this now, Nicodemus. You want to try to find a nice little answer out. I'm telling you, you need to be born again. And then you keep reading. 
that Jesus answers him even when Jesus tries to elevate the conversation to spiritual. He tries to elevate the conversation, then Nicodemus just dumbs it down again and comes back down to the natural. But Jesus doesn't give up because love never fails because it never gives up. In verse 5, it says, Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless Jesus always said most assuredly, he is a very sure person. You know what I'm saying? That's like, we don't say that very much. Like if you just go to get a coffee, most assuredly, I'm going to give you $3 and 20 cents. Like it's, I think we need to talk like Jesus a little bit more again. Like most assuredly, this is going to happen in the name of Jesus. Get down with your King James self, you know, but Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, uh, th this also could be referring to water baptism, but the way that you have to read this is it's saying that most surely I say, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. And then he follows it up saying that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So when you get born naturally, guess what? A water breaks. So you get born of water which is flesh of flesh, and then you get born of the spirit. And Jesus is trying to explain a spiritual principle here. And Nicodemus is just got to be like, what are you talking about? What is going on? I came here and I just wanted to know why you're doing these miracles. And now you're talking to me about being born again, uh, you know, being born of water and spirit. What is going on? And, I'm, and I know I'm just kind of bringing this up in a way, but this is, happens when we talk to God or when we're trying to figure things out in the Bible. We're like, I, I don't, I, I've been following the Lord for a while and I still got some big question marks going on. But I know he's faithful, so it just eliminates the confusion. You know what I'm saying? That there's some things that I'm like, God, what, when we have some time, I'd love to talk a little bit more about this. But you know what? I know we got a mission to do right now. So I'm okay. I'm not going to exalt that question because I'm not going to get hung up on a question when he hung up on a cross for me. You know what I'm saying? You got to stay focused on what's really important. And so many people, sometimes they won't just come to God and get to a place just because of some really ridiculous question. And they don't realize the enemy is just talking them out of their purpose by getting them to exalt a question or exalt a deceiving thought. So he says this, and then in verse seven, he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. But Nicodemus is definitely marveling. So he's trying to calm him down. He's like, take a chill pill, man. I, I just want to help you. And then verse eight, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. So now Jesus is trying to even give natural references to help this brother out. Nicodemus, let me help you out that you're seeing the move of the spirit. You're seeing the miracles, but you can't tell where it's going or where it's come from because you're not born again. What did we say tonight is it's called lift him up, right? So we're about to get to the most pivotal part of this passage because Nicodemus is what? He's a Pharisee. So that means he knows the Old Testament very well. He is a studied individual. And then you go, it says, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? So he's calling him out now. What do you mean? You're a Pharisee? You teach people and you don't even know what I'm talking to you about? 
he could easily say, I'm the one that you thought you were studying and I'm standing manifested before you. And then in verse 11, most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. Do you love how Jesus talks plural? He's not saying I have, because guess what? Three and one. We, we are the majority. We know and we testify, we have seen. Can you imagine Jesus came from heaven? And he's dwelling with us going to the local gas stations. You know what I'm saying? He's going to the food markets. He's going to these. He, sub, he came from royalty. The roads are gold. There's mansions. There's angels that sing his name. And he came to this earth because he's in love with you. And he subjected himself to just a normal life. And he's having a conversation with somebody that is not even understanding what he's saying. But he's entertaining it. And he's the king of kings and the, and the lord of lords. There's people in here that think God doesn't, he's done with you. Or you, he, you think he doesn't want to make time. Or that you've you screwed up too much when he came to this earth to even have a conversation with this man. And then it says in verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. Verse 14, everybody give your undivided attention. This is where everything changes and we'll spend the final moment here tonight. Verse 14, people are about to get free. It says this, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Wait, wait here. Jesus is comparing himself to a snake. I don't know if anybody sees the craziness in this. Nicodemus is a studied man of the word. He knows very well the serpent represents the enemy. The serpent represents the fall of man. The serpent represents rebellion. And Jesus is saying, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so does the son of man need to be lifted up that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Does that see, it seems like it's, it's so abstract. And you know what? Jesus doesn't even explain it because he knows who he's talking to. He's talking to somebody that understands that story because they've studied it. But there's people in this room that you have no clue why he would refer to the story. Some of you may, but you need to get fresh eyes on it tonight. So what I need everybody to do with me quickly is turn to me, turn with me to Romans chapter, uh, Numbers chapter 21. And we're going to read the story when Moses lifted up this bronze serpent. Do you think that we should know this very well? Because ev doesn't everybody know John 3.16, what we were about to read? But you don't realize that before John 3.16, he sets the context by referring to this story. Why is this story so important? Because we're talking about lifting him up. 
So in verse 4 of chapter 21, it says, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Now, wait a minute. Speaking out against God. Now, I got to break some things down for you real quick. You just got to bear with me because when I read this story, I get a little like, what is going on? Because you read this story, they're walking next to the Red Sea. Now, just newsflash for everybody. God delivered them out of Egypt and he split the Red Sea for them to be delivered. They're walking next to the Red Sea complaining about God. He delivered them from being slaves, broke the Red Sea wide open so they could walk on dry ground, and they forgot. When you forget, you forsake. When you forget truth, you forsake truth. And they forgot that God brought them out, and then they said they loathe this worthless bread. Do you know the worthless bread they're talking about? Tasty cakes falling from heaven every day. Every day, cake that falls from the heavens and it doesn't make you, it doesn't give you any weight. It's just perfect from heaven. How many people would just love that kind of dessert every day? So they have tasty cakes just falling from heaven. They're walking next to the Red Sea and they're saying, Moses, God, this is stupid. Why are we doing this? Let's just go back to being slaves. We had it so much better there. They, they fed us broccoli and bowls and, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're just complaining and making this big thing, but we can laugh at that. But how quickly do people take for granted the breath that they're breathing, that God broke them into this universe? He split. You know how you are not a mistake. You are here and that you have a choice right now to live for God, to know God and to live in this moment and how quickly we just take for granted the blessing to be alive and know him. And what happens here is in verse six, it says, so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and many of the people of Israel died. Some people would probably want me to avoid reading that scripture. But you see, God is a God of, he's a God of wrath. There is judgment that is coming. And judgment comes to the unthankful, the ungrateful, the ones that resent truth. Too prideful, I don't need help. I don't need that Jesus. I don't need to hear that. What happens here? is why are these fiery serpents? Well, what happened? What does a serpent do? A serpent bites you and you now have venom. And this venom begins to weigh in on your bloodstream and you begin to become more numb and numb. And then what does a serpent do? Is it begins to con constrict, constrict you. And, after it, and this is what the enemy does is he comes and he, he tempts us and he tries to pull people away and lure them away. But this is what God does because we're talking about the son of man being lifted up. 
So in verse seven, it says, therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Is that a good step in the right direction? Yes, they're doing a good job again. They, it only took a couple of fiery serpents to bite them on the behind for them to realize that they need to repent. And they repent. And it says, we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us. Did you know Moses represents a Jesus? He represents a mediator. They say, but did you notice what they say? Take these serpents away from us is what they prayed. That's what they asked. Now, this is what God says. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and so it was, if the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. You got to hear this. They were getting bit. They were getting bit and they were dying. And they say, remove the snakes. But guess what? We live in a fallen world. You can't remove things that are in this fallen world. But guess what? What God does is he doesn't remove the snakes. He lifts up a standard. He lifts up a fiery serpent. And what happens is they're exalting the bites. They're exalting the pain. But what he says, if you just look at that serpent on that pole, you will be healed and you will not die. I'm here to tell you the gospel is when we lift Jesus up and we look at him, that all that is wrong in your heart, that every void, that anything that has ever taken place in your life, any pain, anything that has done you wrong or you did somebody else wrong and you needed forgiveness, when you look at the cross, when you look, you are healed from the inside out. And it, it, it fills everything inside. But it's not this labor. It's not this labor like I need to go to 10 deliverance ministries to get set free. You need to look at Jesus. You need to look at what the cross purchased for you. Because when you, I'll tell you what, you don't get, I, I, I'll be, I've been in worship services. I can tell you I've never been tempted by the enemy to go do, to go steal from somebody when I was just completely focused on Jesus. Has anybody just been, how great it is our God? Man, I just want to go down to the bank right now and just like hold that place up. Oh Lord, please help me. Please, you know, you know what I'm saying? You just, all this, I want to make a statement. You disrupt temptation when you erupt with exaltation. You disrupt temptation when you erupt with exaltation. Next time you're tempted to sin, next time the devil's like trying to throw one at you, just be like, start singing the lion and the lamb. You know, you know, you just go crazy. Just make him realize how stupid he is. Like, you know, you know, hey, click on that page again. You know, I saw that, you know, you can, you can enjoy yourself, right? You know, just kick back and you just start going, he's worthy. He's worthy. I set my gaze on him because I'm not going to fall into a trap that, that diminishes my value for what he's called. So, but what did, Mo, what did Moses do in verse 9? It says he made a bronze serpent. Do you know what bronze represents? Judgment. What does the serpent represent? Sin. That when we exalt Jesus, we exalt him and we, he wants us to see that he judged our sin. 
that the very thing that you're being tempted to do, you've been given the power to, to go. You know, I've heard, I, I heard a minister say this, and this, everybody hear me when I say this. I've heard so many times people say grace is the empowerment to be all God's called you to be. And I wholly, I wholeheartedly agree with that. But I want to say this. Grace is the empowerment to stay focused on Jesus. Grace is the empowerment to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. You know how much I can tell grace is working in your life? By how focused you are on Jesus. That's the work of grace in your heart, that you're fixated on that. You just have a minute. I know we started a little late tonight, but I, I want to finish this strong. I want you to hear that Moses, he made this bronze serpent. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we would become the righteousness of God. So Moses made this fiery serpent and he's saying that God made Jesus sin. And just as Moses stuck this pole up with a fiery serpent centuries ago that Jesus is talking to this Pharisee, this man right now saying, just as Moses lifted up that snake on a pole wondering what the heck he was doing, that years later, the Son of God, God's only Son, would be lifted up from the earth on a cross. And that when anybody looks at him and looks at what he's done, they would be healed in every area of their life. And the enemy is trying to convince you you're still hooked on things. You're still dealing with strongholds. I'm here to tell you tonight, every fresh glimpse of Jesus is a victory that every victory in your life is a fresh glimpse of Jesus that we need to see him we need to exalt him that all sin in your life is just a worship problem the gospel is exalting Jesus above the word above his very own name Jesus only says be lifted up two other times in scripture talking about himself being lifted up and this is it John chapter 8, he talks about being lifted up in John chapter 8 when he's having a discussion. And in John chapter 8, it says this in verse 28, it says this. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. When we exalt Jesus, we find out how powerful God is. Because Jesus is saying, when they exalt me, when they lift me up, you'll find out that I wasn't the one doing the works. Because I'm not going to raise myself from the grave. The Spirit of God is going to raise me up. And so when you exalt Jesus, the same power that raised him from the grave, when you exalt him right when we were exalting him in praise and worship guess what when we exalt him we then get to see the power of God rush into our midst and we see that just this simple act of saying I give you all of my attention I give you all of my affection all of a sudden the power of God quickens our mortal bodies healings begin to take place and God starts giving us strategies and wisdom on how to be all these things because it's just we're trying to think like I need to go to the next conference or I need to figure out I need to read another book Lord I'm still stuck here and he's saying just give me your attention when Jesus said it is finished you do why do we 
want to put a comma instead of an exclamation point. It is finished. And then the last time is in John chapter 12. He says, verse 31. This is right after God broke the skies open. And I'll actually go a few verses back. Verse 27, it says, now my soul is troubled. Did you know Jesus' soul was troubled? But he knew how to deal with it. Do you know there's times, you know, don't always, you don't have to act like everything's all good all the time. We're the brothers and sisters in Christ. You get people in agreement with you, but you don't ever stay bound. You, you because he gives you the victory, you come out. Amen. But it says, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. Could you imagine just praying? And a voice coming from heaven. Oh, I bet you'd start praying a little bit more. Like, will it happen again? <laughs> Everybody pray with me. Guess what? It's like, like we'll wait for it. Uh, then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. It's so amazing that God is saying that the greatest glory is him hanging, his son hanging on a cross. Do we realize this, that the greatest manifestation of glory to God is Jesus paying your debt. This should do something to your value system. Like we said earlier, 29, therefore the people who stood by and heard it said they had thought that it thundered. Others said an angel has spoken. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this signifying what death he would die. Has anybody read James 4, 8 before? What does it say? Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Right here we find out how to draw near. Because he says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So how do you draw near? You lift him up. You lift him up. You have stopped. You listen to me. You have to stop exalting that problem, that issue. It could be an issue that's gone on for five years, but I'm here to tell you all your praying and all the things that you've been doing laboring, just try and you've actually been exalting the situation even in your prayer life. But guess what? The Lord is taking us into a season in 2021 where the gospel is getting simple again. We're restoring the roar of the gospel. And when we do this, what we're going to do, we're going to exalt Jesus. And we are going to see so many dreams come to pass this year. We're going to see families restored. We are going to see things happen because we're going to lift up the name of Jesus. We're not going to give in to the issues, the things, the reoccurring problems, all this stuff. It needs to end. And that's why Nicodemus... Nicodemus, his name's Conqueror, and the, he, we find him three times in the Gospel of John. First time, he has this conversation with Jesus at nighttime. Everyone say nighttime. Just a little later in John chapter 7, all the Pharisees are talking about putting Jesus on trial for death. And guess who speaks up? Nicodemus. He says, don't we need to give this man a fair trial? Guess what? That conversation has been it's been haunting him in the best kind of way, the Holy Ghost haunt, and just haunting him. So 
even when he starts speaking up for Jesus. Has this happened to anybody before that at first you're kind of not sure where you stand and all of a sudden God does a work on your heart and then next thing you know, you hear a coworker say something about God. You're like, no, he's not that way. You got it all wrong. He loves you. Something happened. And then we finally see Nicodemus, guess what? That random conversation about him being born again, that in John chapter 19, when Jesus gets pulled off the cross, guess who was right there? Nicodemus was at the cross because this conversation that he had at night led him to defend Jesus during the day. And it went with him all throughout the ministry that he was at the foot of the cross. And I'm here to tell you that this is the point of every prayer. Every time you talk to God, he's always trying to bring you to the cross. And you know, he not only was brought to the cross, he brought the most expensive mirror and frankincense to help Jesus burial. Because guess what his name means? Conqueror. And since he followed Jesus, Jesus made him more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. Because what did Jesus do? He conquered death. And the only way you can see is if you're born again. You have to be born again. And how do you get born again? The Bible makes it very clear. Jesus has to be the Lord of your life. And the way that you do that is you have to repent. You have to acknowledge that your way was a prideful, sinful way that was leading to death. And I know that people don't even like using the word sin in church culture anymore. You made mistakes. No, sin, sin. But guess what? He paid for it. And he's saying, you need to lift me up and exalt me. You, you think you have a sin problem. You just have an exaltation problem. You're exalting the wrong thing. How many people are ready for 2021? I'll tell you what, everybody that came forward tonight, and if you heard this word tonight, there are people that want to know what we're talking about. And you need to tell them, you just need to exalt him. You need to be born again. And when they're like, I don't get it. I don't get it. You're just like, it's just as simple as, it's as simple as this. If I stick my hand up, where's everybody now looking? You're looking at my hand. I lifted it up. So many people, they're lifting their problems up. They're lifting their issues up. And it's all they're seeing. But I'm here to tell you that something supernatural happens when you lift Jesus up everything changes. Bob, I want you to share what's on your heart. We love you all so much after Bob share. I'm, I always got to hear what Bob's got to say real quick. I've been sitting here and pastor's been talking about exalt, exalting the Lord and what he's doing and, and where he wants to take us to. And I want to say that this is the anniversary of the church, a one-year anniversary. And I can tell you this, because of us thanking him, because of us being before him, there's not a person in this church that hadn't changed in the last year. He's made us new. And from that, he comes in my heart that we need to thank him. We need to thank the spirit. We need to thank Jesus every day for what he does for us. And as a steward, I want to thank you and Jackie for your obedience to God, 
And I wanted everybody here to give them a big thank you for what they've done and where they've brought it to. gave me a word earlier. Thanks. Uh, praise God. Um, and uh, so I, I couldn't even speak it out. But uh, this year, he is saying that I have taken you through the fire and I have taken you through the water and you are still standing. Glorify my name again exalt me just as your forefathers were led through the wilderness with a cloud of smoke and a pillar of fire by night I am going to take you through the darkness in this next year with that pillar of fire be fierce in it do not be afraid, for I am with you, and I will always be. Go forth in my glory and proclaim it throughout this earth. Hear what the Lord says. Jesus. Before we go, let's just let's just lift our hands. And let's just exalt him. So many prophetic words went forth tonight. We exalt you, Lord. We celebrate the work that you're doing. Let our compass be our worship. As we move forward this year, Lord. Father, we thank you. <laughs> we thank you, Jesus. The wine of the Spirit is free, and you don't wake up with a hangover. So you're free to drink. We're not in a rush. We love you all. Let's brace ourselves for 2021.